Blog Talk Radio. producer Dame Lillian Walker and I am in beautiful Huntington Huntington Beach, California at Luxium Media Studios and boy do we have a show for you today. We have the world renowned expert in manifesting all possibilities, the founder of the MAP Institute. So before we get into that, let me ask you, what if you could identify what's keeping you from bringing money in? What if you could delete it like a word off a page on your computer screen? What if you could do an effortless shift to bring in an abundance of wealth to live the life of your dreams? Well, there are no such things as accidents. You have asked, and guess what? We have with us today Colette Stryker, the founder of the Manifesting All Possibilities Institute. Welcome to our show, Colette. Oh, thank you so much, Vivian. <laughs> I love being on your show. I've been there before, and you're such an yes. awesome uh, show. So, thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you again for gracing us with your honor. We know that you, you know, with all your business traveling throughout the world, uh, you have a very busy and hectic schedule. So, I am very honored to have you on our show today. So let's dive in deep. Uh, For those listeners who are listening for the first time, you can look back on our show schedule. You can see some of the previous shows that talk a little bit more in depth about Colette. Today we are going to talk about the seven unconscious money saboteurs, those things that block us and keep us from allowing wealth and abundance to come in. So take it away, Colette. (laughs) Thank you. First, uh, this, this information comes from a lot of research and a lot of personal research because uh, it all began, as you know, I am a licensed psychotherapist. Uh, I'm French originally, but when I came to America, I, you know, I became a licensed psychotherapist, went to the university, felt that my life was all in order, and uh, a little more than four years ago, I got an inheritance. And um, actually, it was seven years ago now that I think about it. Seven years ago, I got wow. this inheritance. And you know what? I, it was a big one, more than six figures. And I ended up with zero dollars in my saving within three years. I had spent it all. I had given it all. I just was completely unconscious about money. And I had to realize that I had a pattern. I had obviously some unconscious blocks to receiving and holding money and benefiting from it and valuing it. So I spent, uh, you know, several years actually studying, reading books, uh, doing my inner work and finding out uh, really those seven saboteurs that uh, really uh, break your money uh, (laughs) piggy bank, you know, and that's really so unconscious that you don't even 
realize it. Wow. So, so that's interesting that uh, I know you have been a, this wonderful manifester and you've been like this, this uh, very strategic scientist from the time you were a teenager where you were very much identifying what you wanted by recognizing what you didn't want. And as you manifested things, you started to dis- basically figure out a system and design a way to repeat the experience in different areas, which is what led you into becoming a therapist and studying the, the human mind. So it's fascinating to me that, you know, that uh, just seven years ago, um, you, you had this, uh, obviously you had another epiphany, another awareness of something that was going on. It was kind of like a hidden background program running all the time that you weren't really aware was not helping you. And you had the awareness now that it was something that needed to be changed if you wanted to, of course, manifest a different outcome. So was there a specific day that you recognized this? Was there something in specific that happened? Uh, you know, what exactly happened and what did you feel and what transpired from that point? Yeah, you know, I was, I would say, almost in an hypnotic state for three years. As long as I had more money in my saving than I have ever seen before, I was I, I realized it afterwards. I was in this hypnotic state where money had zero value. That means someone asked me for $5,000. I would not even look at the background. I would give it immediately. I, would, I mean, I would be really in this weird state. So what hit me is when the saving went to zero. Then I had to go down to zero to realize, oh, my gosh, I just lost all of that. And I spent it so stupidly. And so I had to look at myself. And, and really what really motivated me even more is my husband. I wanted to get him out of his job. I mean, that could have given him the retirement almost instantaneously, you know. Within. And suddenly I realized that what I did, I prevented me from that. And I felt really guilty. And I had to do a lot of inner work to forgive myself, forgive, you know, ask forgiveness to my husband. Uh, I mean, it was a really painful moment. And because I had all those experiences, you know, I spent years in psychology and in cutting edge Mm -hmm. psychology and researching all of that. I had the tools to help me. So I went into a 10 day retreat with my husband actually. And I did the work. I just cleared as many beliefs as I could find. I, I digged in. I found some unconscious blocks. I, and then within six months, I recouped almost all of that money. Money came back to me so fast after that. And uh, then I, you know, it was just the beginning of realizing how powerful those unconscious programs can be. Uh, to the point where you become completely zombie-like in terms of reality. Um, so that, that's when I decided there was something wrong with me. I had to, to look in the mirror and I had to really do the work. And when I did the work, then I was free. And then I created this new method in the field of psychology. Now, literally abundance on demand. And, um, yeah, that was like the turning point was the zero in the, in the saving account. So it sounds to me like um, up until that point, you almost didn't have depth perception of, of what the money 
meant, how far it could go. And so you just knew that there was money there, and uh, it wasn't until you saw the bank statement with the zero balance that then it hit you that it was gone. And that's when you knew what the bottom of the well, you know, all of a sudden it was like a stark reality as to what the depth perception of, of the money, what it was, and what it wasn't anymore. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And it was associated with me investing in a real estate deal and having to lose the entire investment. So not only there was no more cash, but my investment, uh, we went into foreclosure, lost the whole thing. Um, oh so it was an accumulation of really painful moments. And it was, you know, uh, really so painful. I had to look at it. Wow, so it was a double whammy then. So it's not yeah. only that you had no money left, but the money that you had invested it in, it wasn't a sound investment. So you didn't have anything really to show for it because you lost that also. Yes, yes. So I really so, lost it so all. Let's, so this is, okay, so share with us about this hypnotic state because I think that, you know, if here you're sharing to us about how you recognize that you were in this hypnotic state for three years. I think a lot of people, generally speaking, are probably walking around not knowing they're, that they're in this hypnotic state and in denial or in unawareness of some of these money issues. So can you describe to us a little bit more about that and what that really means? Yes, for me, it was really strange. It's like money had zero meaning. It was a number and I had attached nothing. I didn't care if I lost it all. It was just a number, a little less of a number, and it didn't. It was really a strange relationship I had with money. It's just uh, zero love, zero connection, zero interest, zero. Uh, so that's why afterwards I realized I was in a hypnotic state. But in between, I didn't know. I was just spending it as crazy. And my husband, because it was my money, he didn't want to interfere. So, oh, that sounds like, okay, well, you want to do this, good. I mean, it was generous. But then we realized that my investment, one after the other, then it went like worse and worse. And everything was like all the investments I chose were completely um, illogical and not founded on a, you know, very solid uh, way. Um, so literally, I was really stupid. I mean, <laughs> to be to be clear, well, it, it got me. Well, into it, that I would say it's know? ignorant, not knowing, not really, yes. you know, stupid. It's just that you didn't know any better until you recognized it, and then once you recognized it, then you're like, oh no. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And then I had to do the work, and then I realized it was the different, you know, and that's where the seven saboteurs came in. I, I found a few of them with me. And then as I began working, because I had a, pri a private practice, of course, I worked with already business owners uh, in their success and peak performance. And I was already in that field. So now I could really apply and look into much deeper. What are the, the money beliefs that are blocking not only me, but my clients and then put together a program around that. So what was the first money block that you recognized? Then. First, it was events, traumatic events. So traumatic events for me was, uh, I, I guess I went into beliefs first. 
So I explored my belief around money. I realized I had no value, no connection with money. It feels like, felt like I, I was completely dissociated when I was thinking of money. So I did some inner work on the beliefs. So you can have many beliefs around money. And one of it could be money is hard to, to come by, to, to work at. For me, money had no value. Uh, yeah, really disconnected from any kind of value or any kind of belief around it. Money is easy and has zero value. I can use it as much as I want, and hopefully there will always be some. And uh, so there were some beliefs first that I had to clear, and I realized that that's usually a huge area of research. When a client comes in, he needs to go into, you know, realizing what kind of beliefs you have around money around saving money. For me, it was about saving money. I couldn't spend a certain amount in my saving accounts. That was the trigger for me. Um, so saving, yeah. So you couldn't stand to see money in your account? Was that it? Yeah, yeah. yeah above a certain number. So you have actually in your brain um, a program that's like a thermostat. And you feel comfortable to a certain amount of money in your saving that has been programmed from your childhood or all your life. You say, okay, if I have $10,000 in my saving, it's good. Now, if I have 100000 if I have 300000 now that's not good. That's not comfortable. That's not, that's beginning to be anxiety producing. I have to spend that. Oh. What do I do with that? <laughs> uh, because it felt so uncomfortable, I had to spend it. Uh, to feel back to, to my normal state where, ah, I feel comfortable. Oh, this is my normal amount of saving. Wow. Yeah. So that must have been surprising, I would imagine, for you to, to have that recognition. Oh, yes. I had no clue that existed. That's where I became such an expert in it because I realized how fascinating the subject is. There is this... Um, around your saving, around earning, around what you deserve. I mean, there are so many beliefs around money that it's incredible. These are just old programs that are literally affecting your, your reaction and your uh, behaviors in your life on a day-to-day basis. Well, is it possible for you to have a certain money belief system and then as you grow into adulthood and so forth, have something happen where it changes your money belief system and then you lose perhaps, uh, I guess it could, you know, the door can swing both ways. You could either lose or gain a certain perspective on money. Yes. Events, uh, you're coming with a great question here. Events is another one of the saboteurs or the helpers, but usually uh, they are dramatic events. Um, So for example, when you're a child, your parents, your father got into a bankruptcy. And I have this example with a client. Um, He is a designer here in Houston, in the oil country of the world almost, uh, Houston. And he's the designer for a billionaire family. And he has been the designer for like 11 years, working only for one family, uh, designing all their houses one after the other, after the other, for the children, for the second houses, for the summer houses, for whatever. So he had only one client. And he came to oh me my because, 
that that's really scary, yeah. But look at the yeah, it is. State. Look at the hypnotic state where you are not aware of your pattern. Because do you already see it coming that there is a problem yeah, one there? Client, that's like very vulnerable <laughs> position to be in, yeah. Absolutely. And you see what? For 11 years, he didn't even look at it. And he looked at it because this guy was the, the billionaire, the head of the whole family, became really old and angry and you know, stingy, and I mean, he, he got into this mental, emotional, um, I would say, unease or almost disorder where he began to change his viewpoints on things and decided that he would not pay for one of the renovations. And that, of course, put the entire client in a financial disaster state. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, he was about to be bankrupt when he came to see me. So we looked at his history and we found that my client was about to turn 50 and that his father, when he turned 50, got into a bankruptcy. And oh that bankruptcy, God. yeah, he was 14 years old at the time. And that bankruptcy was so, so traumatic for their family that years and years later, they were still talking about it at Thanksgiving. It was still a trauma. Nobody had recouped from that. The father, they were still complaining about it. They have never overcome that event. So they're and still now, rehearsing that vibration then, and yes. that emotional trauma is being relived. They never let it go. Yes. And my client was about to relive this event because that's what the brain does. The brain tries when there is a trauma like that, a trauma is oh, an association gosh. of, um, it creates an inner conflict for the brain. So the brain cannot, when you cannot understand it, when you cannot make peace with it, when you cannot express the emotion, when it just doesn't make sense for a child's life or a teenager's brain, it creates such a conflict that the brain now is on automatic looking for the answer. So it's going to actually try to reproduce it in order to, try to understand it from a different perspective or try to find a solution because your brain's only goal is, um, is survival. So now this puts obviously your entire family in a very dangerous place and it doesn't feel safe for the brain. So now the brain is on automatic and that has been proven. I mean, it's called biodecoding in Germany. They have studied the, the history of family and how, those traumatic events that create conflict can completely, you know, affect the next generation. Um, yeah. And I have actually another story for that too, but look at that. So an event, so that's what happened to me. So I had to look at events. I had to look at the loss, at the, the foreclosure, at the lossing of the land, at the loss of this, the loss of that, and clear my entire timeline of those events. Wow. Wow, yeah. wow, wow. That 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 is that's a big eye opener. Uh yes. Um it was really I learned so much thanks to that, so I am very grateful now, but uh it's incredible how unconscious we can be. You see the conscious mind is only five percent of everything else and every one of your decisions. Imagine that we make 
about 75,000 decisions a day. Micro decisions, you know, are you going to stand up now, walk, sit down, eat? What do you eat? I mean, there are many decisions. Every one of them has been proven to be prepared, if you want, like in a kitchen, the kitchen of your unconscious. It's prepared there. And then up to seven seconds later, your conscious mind thinks that it is making a conscious decision. Mm. But the decision wow, is prepared before. Yeah, you're not even aware that the preparation is going. No. No, it's completely based on emotions. Uh, that's why my method, uh, Manifesting on Possibilities, that I call MAP, M-A-P, is a method that neutralizes those events, those memories, those emotions. Because emotions are what motivates a program, if you want, uh, a belief, a structure in the, in, in the conscious mind. So it's when you release the, the emotion around an event, you release the motivation to act out of that event. It becomes just a fact. And now it's neutral, so you are not reactive in life anymore. And that's, mm. you know, what I did for myself and then I've been doing with my clients too. So it sounds like it's something that you can not only do to erase, if you will, or delete some of those negative emotions that have anchored in your being that are giving you negative you know, outcomes that you don't want, in this case, you know, lack of money. But it sounds like as you experience things that, are, that, um, that either bother you or make you angry, that could be a problem in the future, as you're going, it sounds like you can clean up the mess as you go instead of waiting <laughs> 10 or 20 years, you know, to have a manifestation of years of lack of, in this case, money uh, to do this, Correct. Yes, that's correct. I love you, your yeah, your explanation. It's always so good, Lilian. I love you. You're like so yeah. Awesome. Instead of you, so, yeah, yeah. This is such a good uh, concept because this is exactly what I get loved. With map, we we have yeah. you know of course the practitioners who are working one on one with the client to go deep into the patterns, not only of money but of any kind of issues in life. But then we have what we call the map on the go. Literally, where the client is empowered to neutralize their own thoughts and emotions and feelings as they go, uh, the stress that's coming to their life as they come, and so that they can live a life of joy and peace and relaxation and prevent any kind of dramatic patterns like we're talking about. Yeah, so you basically are equipping, you know, It's kind of like, you know, you could wait to all these emotions and negative things day after day after day. They continue to pile up because, you know, your subconscious mind, as you're telling us, never forgets those things. And Mm -hmm. we can, you know, be in ignorance and not, you know, basically, uh, you know, defer the maintenance, if you will, to our brains and our bodies and our life by not dealing with it. And then you have to get an industrial vacuum cleaner to clean it up (laughs) or... We can use a little Swiffer and just daily as we have something negative, like as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking, oh, I have a couple, the last couple of days I need to go in there and I need to clean up with my map brain Swiffer. I need to clean some things up because I was two days ago, I was not a happy camper. That's going to bite me in the butt, you know, moving forward. 
Yeah, that's but it's true. <laughs> but we don't. But we don't. No one trained us as children or as adults really to go in and clean up our mental junk, yes. our mental emotional junk. Absolutely, this is one of the big missing piece of education. I mean, isn't it the core of life? How you you feel? I, I have this experience with a client who has a business partner that got so angry uh, illogically that now they broke up their business contract and and it's a real disaster just because the person was not able to handle their emotions uh so it is one of the key um skill and that anyone wants to master their mind get to the best they can be manifest all they can in their life they need to master their mind and emotions. I mean, there is just no, yeah, no way. So what would you say then is, you said that the first money block is an, a traumatic event, and we all know that, you know, since 2008, you know, we've had the mortgage crisis, we had the economic meltdown of this country. A lot of people have had not just economic loss, a lot of them have had, you know, a loss of health loss of um, relationships and so forth. Um, so the first money block is a traumatic, just recognize whatever traumatic events you've had in your life and traumatic events that your parents that you grew up with had as well. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And I consider them like two different things. There is the events of your day uh, of your life, your personal life. And then let me give you an example of events that happened in a family history. And that's when I was, you know, alluding to biodecoding, which is decoding your biology. That there is, it's actually now proven that the DNA records trauma, and it's gener- from generation to generation. So let me tell you the story. I think it's really going to be a purple here. Um, I have this other client who is a tennis player who used to be actually at the top. Uh, she's a woman and she used to play in Wimbledon at the time, a, a really good while ago. And um, mm-hmm. she made a fortune and then lost it all. And then we were talking because she's in this awesome business right now and she was helping me. We we're co-creating. And so I wanted to help her out and we talked and she said, well, and then I make another fortune and I lose it all. And then I make another one, and I lose it all. I say, "Whoa, that sounds like a pattern to me." Um, yeah. So I was studying biodecoding at the time. I was thinking, mm, "Let me check." So I checked with her, um, and the story each time that she was losing it all was either a wrong partner, someone stole the money. There was something unethical going on that was not from her side. But she was kind of the victim of a situation, if you wanted to see it that way. Of course, we all create everything. We are going to see how that works. So I interview her about her family history. And I hear that her grandmother was very rich. She had land and oil and everything. And she was very wealthy. And what happened is that at the end of her life, she became senile. She, she lost her mind. And she ended up, this is like a story that could be on, you know, on TV. She ended up giving it all to her own gardener. 
So the gardener inherited the fortune while all the kids got nothing. So imagine the trauma. The entire family got angry. And this is exactly the idea of trauma that I was talking about. It was unlogical. There was no way to make sense of it. There was no way to express the emotion, the anger, the rage towards this older woman, you know, that just was doing, and she died, so it was too late anyway when they discovered that. And um, so all of that created such a turmoil that the entire generation after that failed. They didn't were able to make any money. And then she was the third generation coming and it was still in our field, uh, in our brain, in, in the, you know, in the unconscious field, if you want. And so she made money, but lost it all each time stolen by someone. Wow. So when I clear that, now she's on her complete successful straight on and uh, she has released that and she's a pretty tough woman you know because she's on tennis and super strong and I've never seen her cry but she when she really connected with that the sadness of it the whole grief the entire family history she really got very very emotional uh, just releasing it, releasing the tension. And that showed that, yes, we were touching onto something very, uh, very, you know, effective. Because it's effective when you release something. Wow. And, well, I'm sure we all have things like that that we're unaware that are uh, affecting us. Because we're probably so used to having, it's kind of like having a little pebble, a tiny little pebble in your shoe that's, you know, mm-hmm. creating a little over time. At first, obviously, it's just raw, but then over time, you, it gets callous, and you yeah. just you don't know what it's not. You know what it's like not to have that there. So it's it's just there until it's not there. It's kind of like getting used to a certain pain. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So those are like the two different. Uh, that I would call uh, money saboteurs, the events in your, pro- in your lifetime and the events coming from your generations. That's kind of two different aspects that need to be approached uh, slightly differently. Um, and do you want to know more? Do you want to know another yes, one? Yes, absolutely. I'm curious to find out what's the next one. All right. So let me see. I have this. Uh, so we also talked about beliefs, remember, there's different beliefs. Uh, yes. But one interesting one is um, it's how your parents talk to you when you desire something. Like as a child, you go to the supermarket with your mom and you look around and there are tons of little toys and delicious little sweets you want to buy and you want to put that in the caddy and the mom is saying, who do you think I am? You know, and then you get this admonition, this criticism. There is something wrong about you desiring things. Mm -hmm. There's this shame put around it. That's like, who do you think I am? Do you think I am, you know, do you think that money grows on trees? Money grows on trees. Everybody knows that. (laughs) And it does, you know, and so you end up being shamed. You see the emotion that there's something wrong with you for desiring money, for desiring good things in life. 
That's a pretty unconscious series of patterns. But you, you might be thinking about it in your own life. I don't know if your mom or parents were like that, gave you some negative comments when you were asking for really good things that were exciting you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've got to say, I do remember my mom saying, my mom was the queen of no. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't just money. A lot of stuff was no. It was her favorite word. Uh, it was no, 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 no. And mm. um, I don't remember her shaming me for it, but I do remember her saying all the time that money is a tool that you use to make life easier. So that is what money is for, is that it's a tool mm. to make your life easier. And mm. um, she was, yeah, she was, I wouldn't say she was thrifty. She made her dollar stretch. She didn't like wasting money. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, uh, and, I, and she's still that way. But, um, but I remember her saying all the time that, you know, money is there. It's like a facilitator. It's there to make, you know, to make things happen for you, and it's a tool. Wow. Yeah, well, that's really good. I mean, that's really good because some people have money is evil, money is bad, money is... There's so many negative beliefs around it that that put guilt and shame around earning money or loving money or saving money or having money or being wealthy. Mm -hmm. There's so many judgments, and I'm pretty happy that actually your mom was saying it's just something that makes life easier. Um, it is, and, yeah. and she was always me, very, um, yeah. I was gonna yes. say, but she was always very. Um, I don't want to say controlling, but she was very, you know, she was very, she was kind of thrifty with her money. You know, she would make her dollars stretch, and she didn't. She was about not wasting not only money, but she didn't like wasting anything. Like, mm-hmm. just like you know, once we couldn't, once we didn't have any use for clothes, let's say because we outgrew them, then it would go to somebody else who could use it. You didn't just throw it away. It's like, mm-hmm. no, this still has useful life left to it, so we're going to give it to somebody else who can use it. I see. And, so, and she was that way with food, with clothes, I guess with money too, because it was a tool. Yes, and there is a, an unconscious belief behind that. You see, the belief mm-hmm. that uh, there is some kind of connection with lack, with the, the limitation. There is a limitation, so let's, Mm-hmm. stretch something that we have because we might not have more on yeah. that. And so that was the unconscious belief that you got out of that experience because it was so repeated and repeated that you do have that program running that the belief that it's limited. Things are limited and we need to stretch them because they are limited. So just <laughs> giving you a little hint here. Um, yeah. But, uh, uh, you know what I did realize years ago? Mm-hmm. Because, like, I remember she used to, and I told her mom, this is bad. You can't be doing this anymore. Like, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially when there's, you know, you know somebody has the financial means to not have to save certain yeah. things. Like, for example, um, like you use a piece of aluminum foil. Well, after you use it once, you know, throw it, throw it away. Well, no, she would, you know, wash it off and use it again. Or, um, like, cooking oil it's like you know yeah you know you cook whatever you know with the oil and then you save it to cook something else i'm like no from a chemistry standpoint that's like bad there's all these free radicals i'm trying to give her like the scientific reason why you don't want to reuse the oil and um plus you know she can afford to buy you know all the oil that she wants (laughs) 
So why would you, you know, if you're if you're scraping pennies and you can't afford barely food, you know, to put food on the table, I can understand that. But when you have the apple, when when money is really not an object, why would you do that? You know, because now that's to your own detriment to your health, and you know you want to do what's healthy. So there's still, I recognize that some of those behavioral patterns of saving things um, to an extreme come because she was a baby from the depression. She was born in the 30s. And in the depression, you know, they had so much rationing and so many things, you know, changed here in North America, I would imagine all over the world, that a lot of people that are from that, you know, that are in that depression era have that same thing. And even though they may be wealthy now, but because they had that experience, and their parents may have been uh, wealthy as well, it doesn't seem to matter. But it seems like because the country went into this lack and uh, mode where there is a lot of lack and a lot of need, a lot of these folks of that generation had that same thing, that without yeah. needing to, to be that tight with dollars, you know, they are, or with things even. Yes, and talk about the traumatic event. It was a collective traumatic event. So definitely um, completely affected the belief system. And you see how reality doesn't matter when you run a program, when you run an unconscious belief that you don't um, observe and, and change willingly or consciously. Then it's running you unconsciously and you're saving the oil and you're doing things that you actually don't need to do at all. Um, and that's what I was doing. I was running on automatic about something. You see, that's what happens when you run a program. It has no connection with reality. It, it is just an old program that is running you instead of you running your life. Um, so th- there is another um, saboteur that, I mean, I would like to, to bring up here today because it's pretty fun. It's... Um, the relationship you have with money. Money is literally a consciousness. It's really something in your mind that, is, that you can kind of put an archetype around it or a metaphor. You can really, um, you actually have a relationship with that thing. And so that's really unconscious. I don't think anyone ever think about, you know, walking in life and saying, oh, I have a good relationship with money or, oh, I hate money. Or, but this is it. What is your relationship with money? Because if you think about it, money is not going to come to you if you hate it, you feel guilty, you don't trust it, or etc. So in order to find out what is your relationship with money, there's a, a nice little exercise to think about. And if you want, you can, you can give me your, your feedback uh, and play uh-huh. with me a little bit uh, if you want to again. I want you to imagine that money is actually a character, a person. If you were to picture it as a character, what comes to mind first? What is the image that comes to mind? <laughs> I, just now that you said that, I had a funny image in my head, and um, I don't know if people remember Casper the Friendly Ghost, but that's the <laughs> image that just popped in my head. A little happy, a little happy ghost. Oh, okay, cool. So what does it feel like? Does it, what's the feeling about it? Um, light and happy. Mm. Light and happy, yeah, and airy. Because I, I, when you said that, 
you know, about a character, I just saw Casper the Friendly Ghost. And he's kind of a cherubic-looking, light, airy, joyful, genie-like mm. character. Yes. There's a little bit of magic in it. That's interesting. I didn't even know that was in there. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so if anyone on the call is doing that, you might feel, you know, some people it's uh, it's a motorbiker, a biker. That is, you can't really trust the guy, but it's strong and powerful. It's never there when you need him. I mean, I've had clients like that telling me different things. It's really fun. And... Um, or it could be someone you have an awesome relationship with. It's your friend. It's your best friend. I, you love it. And the work I've done oh. went from, you know, not trusting that to now being really super friends and being able to say, I love you. I love you. I love, I love actually what it represents to me. Uh, I have shifted the viewpoint that helps me so much. It might help your listeners. I I realize that money is actually a unit of freedom. It's a unit of freedom. It's like, oh, please, now that I see it that way, I say, please give me as many units of freedom as I can get. You see, the freedom to buy something, to eat anything, to go and travel, to, to help, to give in foundations. To, there's, it's, it's the basis of freedom on its, on its planet. It's so connected to it. That's interesting that you should say that it's a unit of freedom because I do believe that money does can provide you freedom. And in the past, I've always thought of money as like each dollar is like a little 24-hour worker that never stops working, that once you have that dollar, that um, it can work for you 24 hours a day, especially if you invest it into something that yields you a, a certain return, like let's say stocks, mm-hmm. bonds, or anything like that, or real estate then it's a unit of, it's like a, a little worker that 24 hours a day, as long as you have it you know, invested and you still own it, it's working for you whether you're awake or you're asleep. Yes. If you uh, are looking at it from the saving and investing perspective of money, uh, in a more generic way, it gives you the freedom to invest and make it a little worker. But at the essence of it, you will realize that it gives you the freedom to eat and to have a roof over your, and to choose Mm -hmm. to have electricity and Wi-Fi and to to have the shoes you want and the the trips you want. And, you know, it's just incredible. Look at it like, wow, how much freedom money gives me. And when you don't have it, your cell phone doesn't work anymore, your Wi-Fi is not there, the electricity is not there, mm-hmm. and you realize, oh, I don't have that freedom anymore to use the electricity as much as I want to do this, to do that. So, um, and, and looking for a relationship with it. I was looking for a way to look at it so that I can be really at peace and actually loving it. Because the vibration of love is the most attractive vibration of the universe. You line up with the light. With, uh, with the essence of, of this universe when you are in love with something. So I was looking for a way to look at it so that I could absolutely love it. And when I see it as units of freedom that dance around like little lights, you know, it's like every dollar or every little cent would be a little light. Um, it's like, yeah, I want more of you. I love you. <laughs> Come to me. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. So, so in your mind's eye, as you're looking at it as units of freedom, were you looking at the units of freedom multiplying? Oh, yes. Growing and growing. And, and kind of uh, I have this new account as I have, as you know, I have uh, uh, trainings online. I have seminars, etc. And there is this new um, account that's called Stripe, and it's a way to charge credit cards. So I have the Stripe account, and because I don't have any negative association with it, with savings account, or bank account, it sounds too more serious. But the Stripe account is like my, my gift box. It's like, wow, the more dollars come in, the more units of freedom pass through it. So I'm in love with that Stripe account, and I'm thinking of it every day. Okay, I love it, and I, please, units of freedom, you can just just come and, and join me, you know, and I am welcoming you, and I want many and many and many and many of you and millions of your units. And I have so many things I want to do for it, with it. And, and this is something that's important. You want to know what you're going to do with your money? Because I think that was one of the problems I had. My saving was I have zero use for that thing. I had no plan for it. So now let's give it away because I am not going to use it, and I don't feel comfortable keeping it in there. And so let's try to use it one way or another. And I think that was the, the key, is that I was not considering money as a flow. I was trying to just save it or give it away, or, and it, none of it felt comfortable. But when you have projects, when you have things that passionate you, then you know that you are in the flow of money and you are really becoming a magnet. And, uh, you know, the, so that's important to know where the money goes. Yes, some of it might be in savings, uh, and savings, as a side note, please don't take it as the rainy day thing. Savings is you accumulate enough of those units of freedom so that you have the freedom to, to, to buy something important, to, to make a huge you know, investment, to participate into an opportunity that you could not participate if you didn't have that account full of those units. So that's, so you can have this account, and I advise you to have an account full of units that you can spend when, when you have a big project or something comes about or you have an opportunity that's beautiful. And then you want to also have the ideas of what to do for the fun and what to do for the nations or giving away or making a difference in the world. So just consider where is this money going to flow into because you're part of a river and uh, abundance, it's an abundance, it's a river. It's not about stocking it anywhere, the intention of doing nothing with it. So you called it a strike account? Stripe. Uh, it's, uh, it's literally a, a software that's called Stripe, you know, like PayPal, uh, you have mm-hmm. PayPal, and then you have Stripe. Uh, it's the new way of oh. taking credit cards uh, in uh, to pay to to buy products and programs online. So, because I have so many products and programs online now, uh, we have this new way of um, having people pay through that Stripe account. So, for me, it's just a positive one that actually gets everything in. And then the money is flowing into my bank account, and then I can do what I want with it. But it's kind of a reservoir, if you want, of, of cash coming from all those programs. And it's really a, a positive uh, association that I have with it. 
So you're saying then probably one of the money blocks that people have then is uh, that when they have money coming in, especially if they have a surplus of money coming in, they don't have a purpose for yes. the money. They just the, the money that is without purpose, that is just laying around, that's what gets squandered because it, because it has no purpose. It has to, by default, have some sort of purpose. So either you yes. direct it to the purpose that you really want it to have or it goes to whatever I guess your default programming is? Yeah, you accumulate it so that you have a bigger opportunity, that you know that you have the freedom to jump on an opportunity or buy a house, a big car, or something, a big uh, expense, and you accumulate it in your savings, but with the intention that on the command, you know, literally you'll be able to use it instantaneously as soon as the opportunity comes by. So it's good to have a place where you gather enough to have the opportunity to jump on on things like that. And also other programs, other things, like what are you doing for joy and fun? What are you doing, going to do for celebration for, um, and then for making a difference? For me, it's, right now my mission is to spread map on the planet, this manifesting all possibilities, this innovation in the field of psychology. And uh, so we have just begun uh, coaching and training it online, actually this week. Lilian, I don't know if you know, I just launched my online program uh, for the MAP certification. And um, it's my mission is to spread it over the planet. So, of course, I want to use all this cash coming in to help spread the message. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what excites me the most, you know. Whatever excites you the most, you know. It's about having fun. So, would you say that it's important... Uh, as you're, you know, increasing your relationship with money and you're looking to manifest more, is it important for you to have in your, uh, I guess, in your vortex or in your awareness uh, that you schedule in part of the purpose of the money is to bring you joy? Yes, yes. Is that important? Uh, actually, every, I, I would say that every perp, everything you buy should give you joy. Like, joy or appreciation. So if you can turn into a person that each time you you use this money and you give it to someone else, you, you're moving the flow, you know, to someone else. You're saying, oh, thank you for the electricity. It's not a bill. It's not a, it's, oh my, thank you for the electricity. Because when you're not there, it's really a hard life here. So thank you for the Wi-Fi. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. And then when yeah. you buy your clothes or when you buy something, Make it a joyful experience. It's not like, oh, I get 10 horrible T-shirts. Instead, buy one that you absolutely adore. And so you associate using your units of freedom in a way that is joyful to you. So now not only you earn it, hopefully in a way that is more and more joyful to you, and you attract it in a joyful manner, but you also spare it and spend it in a joyful manner. Mm-hmm. So you're constantly anchoring your emotion of joy and positive feelings and gratitude with that outflow of money as well so that it comes back to you in that same yes. positive vein, it sounds like. Yes, exactly. 
Absolutely. It's almost like you're weaving it's almost like you're weaving an abundant tapestry energetically. Yes. Everything you touch around money ends up being a high vibration, a high energy. And so you're grateful for it, you appreciate it, you love it, and then you love to spend it in a way that gives you joy. And when you spend it on something that gives you joy, then milk it. Like, look at it, um, milk it. It's not like you buy something and then you never look at it again. If you have something you've bought in the last few weeks and you really enjoyed it for a minute, well, milk it. Enjoy it more, look at it, play with it, uh, be grateful for it. Um, you know, I think we don't connect with joy and fun and appreciation enough. We're living in a world where we take things for granted. Once you get it, it's like, oh, moving on. No, don't move on. Appreciate wow. it. Wow. So you, would you say that appreciating it and loving it and acknowledging it uh, more will bring more of it? Yes. Absolutely, because that tunes you into the, the, the vibration of appreciation. And appreciation appreciates everything. Literally, the word appreciation is about growth. It's increasing about value. Increasing value. So you're literally resonating with appreciation of money or of what you have and appreciation be, being the highest vibration on this planet and being the one that connects you with source and who you truly are, then you are lined up with the entire energy of this universe. And, and when you are, then you are more powerful than anything, any other thing. And what you are appreciating, then you are attracting. And what you're attracting is not only that object. Of course, you might attract something similar, but it's mainly the idea of the essence of it. You attract things that you will appreciate. So first, it's thoughts that feel good and then people and friends and situations and events and then your life becomes a magic because you live your life in appreciation well you know I've just had an aha moment with you here right now because Mm -hmm. I'm hearing the word appreciation in a different way and I couldn't help but notice you know this is not just applicable obviously with money this is true with everything you know, if you look at relationships, in a relationship, you know, between a man and a woman, you know, as long as the two people are appreciating each other, the love continues to grow, the relationship is good. But if you, if, you know, a couple comes together and then because they now, quote, unquote, have each other, they stop appreciating each other because they already, quote, unquote, have each other, then guess what? That relationship starts to die and it depreciates instead of appreciates. And then mm. before you know it, that relationship falls apart. And that's no different than if you take a house. You know, people, you know here in the United States, we're, we're pretty aware of, you know, the appreciation values of property. And if you take one, two properties and one of them, you don't do put a penny into it and you let it, you know, you let all this deferred maintenance go on, you never repaint it you don't take care of the things as they break down and you compare it to a house next door to it of the exact same size same same everything same city and that house on the other hand you have taken care to give it the proper maintenance you appreciate the home by you know taking care of the plumbing and painting it and whatever breaks you repair it to make sure that it's fine 
it's going to appreciate at a much greater value than the house next door that was denied and had deferred maintenance. Yes. And that is appreciation. The person, one person appreciated the house and took care of it and loved it and appreciated it. The other one neglected it, and so it depreciated. Hmm. And the same thing is true with money, it sounds like. You know, if you can appreciate the money, have a good relationship with money, pay attention to it instead of not paying attention to it, don't ignore it, don't neglect it, love it, appreciate it, acknowledge it, have a purpose for it. It's like, wow. Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. Wow. I mean, I just had that right now. I'm going, oh, my gosh, I get it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I get it, too. I mean, you are helping me get to the next level of appreciation. Oh, you, too, for me. Oh, my gosh. This is a huge, I think, you know how, like, uh, you know, we hear certain words so often that sometimes they lose their meaning because we think we know what they mean. And oftentimes they have a deeper hidden meaning. And I think today the big word is appreciation. Now we hear, you know, from sages to investors talk about appreciation, but do we really know what it means? And today I feel like I have a deeper understanding of appreciation. You know, our topic is about money, but it's giving me a, a larger life view awareness of really what appreciation is and how I'm at the center of whether I choose to appreciate or not. I can choose to appreciate and give greater value to those things and to love those things and those people and those relationships and and any material thing, whether it's money or houses or cars and so forth, and that can grow in appreciation as I give it first, as I'm the source of it, I'm giving the appreciation first, then the appreciation, I'm the benefactor of the appreciation, or I can not be the source of the appreciation, and now it will depreciate. It will lose value because I'm not, it it, it works either way. I can choose to or not to. It's indiscriminate. But I'm the one who has the power, the control. I have to decide to. Wow. I love what you just said. There are, you, you, we are together getting to the cutting edge of, of thoughts here. Um, wow. Because I wow. never thought wow. about, about the depreciation. And also what I love what you say is you are the center of it. You decide. And that's true. This is absolutely true. And that's what you have. You have this power to decide. And by deciding that, you're actually the creator and a manifester of your world. And that's why, you know, I am on this planet to share with people is saying, you manifest your world, you create it, and it comes from you. When you clear your own things and you begin appreciating life, well, your life will appreciate you wow. too. <laughs> it's really. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Colette, thank you so much. This, these are huge, huge insights. Um do we have any more of the sabotage? I think we, if, I don't know if I'm counting right, but I think we got up to five, which is the relationship of money. I think we have, we only have a few um, more minutes left. Can we get to six and seven? All right. There are emotions that you have around money. You have fear, you have guilt, you have joy, like we were talking, the emotion of appreciation. Mm-hmm. So we were already tapping into that one. 
So we have beliefs, emotions, events, family history with the biodecoding we talked about, mm-hmm. parental uh, admonitions, which is the shaming about desiring things, the relationship with money, and number seven is deserving. Uh, when she's a huge subject by itself, but really, wow. Yeah, do you feel like you deserve? And uh, if you have been from a very poor background, you might don't feel that you deserve. Actually, I have a story of a client who has a huge, very poverty-driven background, a written background, and um, bought a Mercedes, but in a, you know, really a, a manifested a Mercedes. Literally, within seven days, by literally manifesting, writing down, visualizing, doing exactly what I'm telling them him to do. And he manifested one for like $6,000 because the person wow. there needed to. And it was a very good shape, but an older one, but because it was in a garage and the, the, the wife never drove it. I mean, voila, he got the, the Mercedes. And the thing is, it... It was so uncomfortable driving it <laughs> at first. He said, wow, I have to upgrade myself. I have to upgrade who I am. I have to, you know, understand. it didn't feel like he deserved that more cities. And he wow. had to do some inner work, actually, to find peace with it and now um, end up being comfortable with it. So that's a new Wow, because it was a new identity. <laughs> yes. Wow. So in that, would you say that deserving also is a part of allowing? Or would that be something yes. different? Yeah, right. Deserving right. and allowing is, is almost similar. It's the same thing. It's like if you don't deserve, if you have the belief that you don't deserve, which is just a belief in some way, but it's really powerful belief about your identity and how you define yourself. If you don't have that belief, then, you know, you can... I lost my train of thought, but you, you can uh, you can allow about deserving. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, if you if you don't believe you deserve, you do not allow. You're going to block it. Your unconscious again is going to create barriers, unconscious barriers. You're going to sabotage yourself, no matter what, until you believe that you are the person who deserves that amount of money or deserves that car. And it's really a shift of identity, like you were saying. So this deserving, because, you know, sometimes it seems to me that you can hear people in their speech patterns how sometimes they don't believe either they're deserving or you hear sometimes there are references to money and it's clear, you know, that they don't either care about money or that um, they think that money is evil, or that people who have a lot of money are evil, or you know only people who um, are underhanded, and you know they equate the rich with being um, corrupt. And you're mm-hmm. like, well, no wonder they don't have you know any money. If you have that kind of belief and you believe that you're a good person, there's no way you're going to allow that money to come into your experience because it's contradictory to the good that you believe that you are. So is there anything yeah is there anything that we can do or it seems to me yeah is there anything that you could do to help someone along, along the who way. is in that yeah who's in that cuz 
you know, I remember before the mortgage crisis, we wouldn't hear a lot of this type of talk. But after the whole mortgage meltdown and so many people losing their homes and jobs and, and everything else over the years, you the general, like a lot of the public conversation has changed, the tone has changed about money, in my opinion, that I've mm-hmm. heard. To yeah. the point where some people are like, oh, can you believe that, you know, oh, so-and-so would charge money for something like that? Or it's almost like it's a sin to make money or to profit. And oh. I'm going, I go, how could that possibly, I can't believe these people are talking this way. It's like people, everybody has to make a living, you know? Absolutely, yes. That's also the part of the belief system and the, the emotions and, and the deserving. All these come into play and create situations where people feel jealous or feel negative emotions around it or around other people, which is the same. I mean, when you are jealous of someone or criticizing someone, that's like it comes through you. So therefore, it's like you're criticizing yourself or it has to be thought through you and felt through you. So you become a magnet of those negative things. So really moving through any one of the those judgments or limiting beliefs would be great. And I don't know how much time do we have, Liliana. I have enough. We have about five, yeah. We have about five, six minutes left. Okay. So one of the way perhaps I would say someone can find those beliefs, um, if you want to explore, that there is one question you can begin to explore because ask yourself. Because when uh, the... Belief comes into consciousness, it has a good opportunity to be released. It's not always the case, it can be a complex belief, etc. But once you see it and look at it and write it down and look at it as a belief, usually it loses its power really rapidly. So it's not always the case, like I say, but it's mostly the case. So that could help a lot to your listeners here. Um, the question is to ask yourself. When you see a situation, like for me, this money, I'm spending all my money, all my savings. The question to ask myself is what belief might someone have? And it's good to ask someone because if not, it's too direct and you might be protecting yourself. But you just wonder, what belief might someone have in order to experience spending money with no limits, with complete unconsciousness? And then you begin asking yourself that question. You say, well, that person could have the belief that money has no value, could have the belief that there is an unlimited source. Or, I mean, it depends. You know, you can explore all those beliefs. And one of them might come really resonating with you and say, wow, I believe that. That's me. <laughs> and uh, you will see uh, that will be the beginning of, the neutralization of that belief. So the question, if I heard you correctly, like when you see a situation, you said, the question would be, what belief might someone have in order to experience spending money with no limits? Correct? Yeah. Spending money with no limit would be the situation. So what belief might someone have in order to experience blah, 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 you know, whatever you, your situation is? And then you look at it from the outside and you're trying to think about it like brainstorm more in a neutral manner without judgment and just brainstorming 
what kind of belief might someone have? And you will come up with tons of beliefs. And one of them might really trigger you and say, wow, I do have this belief. And actually, if it comes up, it's because you have it. So that's the clue here. Um, so that's one way. Well, whichever one resonates with you. Yes. The one whichever that resonates statement more. resonates with you. Mm, yeah. Okay. The most, and mostly actually one that is completely unconscious. If you keep asking that question, you will come up with a, a one that is like, whoa, but that's what life is about. That's true. And then you look at it as a belief. You say, oh, but it's a belief. It doesn't have to be true. When you get to one of those beliefs that really surprise you, that you consider as truth, oh, yes, it's true that money is hard to, to come back. They have to work hard. This is true. And then you look at it and say, huh, what if it was just a belief? And then you realize that many people are earning money very easily. <laughs> so they might not have oh, the same belief. Well, that's something I do want to bring up because so many of us have heard throughout our entire lives that you have to work hard and that it's that money, you know, that you have to work hard, not just to work hard, but you also work hard to make money and it's hard to make money. And at the same time, you know, as, as you know, over the last, I want to say 10, 20 years, I've witnessed a lot of people who have worked hard but I have to say, I have also witnessed a great deal of people who don't work hard at all and make even more sums of money, and they don't work hard at all. Yeah. And they don't work long hours, and what they actually do day to day isn't very much in comparison to other people who work just as hard, and they might make, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars, but oftentimes, you know, folks who make in the millions, actually do work less. And uh, so it's made me think, it's like, okay, you don't have to work hard to make no. a lot of money. Actually, there is no connection. I would go as far as that. There is not a lot of connection at all. Yes, you can force the universe and, and try to manipulate and work really hard and and for years and years and accumulate. And yes, there is some kind of leverage, a little bit of leverage on, on working hard. But really, it's so tiny compared to using the laws of this universe where you can tune into the frequency of money. And then things come to you, ideas, opportunities, people, partnerships. Everything comes to you easily and it multiplies your opportunities and your possibilities of earning money. So really, there is two choices. Either you, you, know, you work really hard and it doesn't mean anything because some people work three jobs and still don't make money. Or exactly. you are, you know, that's a fact. Or you realize that the universe is a vibrational universe. It's a, it's a universe made up of protons and photons and energy and that nothing is solid and then everything is energy and therefore as a being, you can tune into a frequency and begin to attract thoughts and things and people as, as you, you tune into this subatomic world and know how to master that. And that's when you begin to master your mind and be able to manifest all possibilities. And that's the subject for another time. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I have plenty to talk yeah. about. 
Yeah, and you know, I think this is a perfect place for us to to wrap up the show. This actually intersects with another show that I did with um, physicist, UC Berkeley physicist, uh, Dr. Cynthia Sue Larson, who also has a PhD in in divinity, and she talked about a double. There's a study where it's two. It's a very famous physics study where they had two slits. And they were shooting, this physicist was shooting a photon through this uh, board that had two slits. And the question was, okay, whether the photon would go up to the right slit or to the left slit. And when the physicist was watching the experiment, the photon that was shot, because he focused his attention to the right slit, the photon went through the right slit and then marked the wall on the back on the right But when the physicist was out of the room and was not observing the photon, what happened was the photon, because it didn't have a human being to choose right or left, it went, you could look at it as it went through neither or it went through both, but instead of making a mark on the back wall that was a very, you know, definitive mark, it was like this gray patch because it went through both of them and it was diluted and it was a very mild like patch of gray that was on the wall. And, and yeah, so, the, the fact is it went into a waveform. So in quantum physics, it's like either it's a, it's a particle, so it's a, a very specific area of space, like a, mm-hmm. a photon, and so it has to choose between right and left, or it transforms into into a wave, like a wave of the ocean, and it passes through everything at the same time. So So that's that's telling you and me, and anyone who's listening and hearing this, is that wherever you you focus your attention on, if you want to focus on the having of more money, the love of money, the appreciation of, of money and how it provides you units of freedom, and focusing on the fact that you have a good relationship with money and, and all the people that are related and attached to your experiences every day, you focus on the, the things that you do want. And when things that you don't want come up, you, you're aware of them, you're like, and then don't give them attention. And you know, that's how you direct the proton to go through the right slit so that yeah. you get the outcome that you want. Because really we are like a radio transmission tower where we're the ones who decide what frequency and what, which of the two slits, if you will, one's the, the right slit with the money, the one on the left is the left mm. slit without the money, so to speak. <laughs> and, yes. and we can choose that. And we have to appreciate that slit on the right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so focus on it. So um, wow. I, I wanted to tell your audience that I do have a book coming out and that actually I'm giving it a way for your audience as a gift. And uh, it's called The Abundance on Demand. And it's at the printer right now at the publisher, but I have an ebook and I put it into a secret page, a gift page just for your audience. And when they go there, they will have my book and many, many more gifts. So um, if you want to, you can go to, can I do give the link, or it's going to yes. be given anyway? Yes. Yes. But the link is yeah, we map. have it on the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have it on the website, which is great. But it's map m a p coaching institute dot com slash joy, and 
Lillian put it and posted it too. So. Yes, so it's on the show description as well for our listeners. That's very generous of you to uh, gift our audience members a copy of your book. I'm going to be looking forward to reading that and uh, continue with having you on our show in the future because I know that you have wonderful programs and I've actually been able to witness people directly benefit from your your wonderful um, MAP Institute. And so I thank you again, Colette. We're at the bottom of the hour here. And it's been an exciting and very insightful show. Uh, I know that my what you shared with us about your seven uh, saboteurs to money blockages, and for me that piece of appreciation is is a huge aha for me today. So I really want to thank you uh, for sharing this space of abundance of of wealth and just good vibes here today on the Bottom Line Show Live. Thank you so much, Lillian. Well, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, every Wednesday at 11, 11 a.m. at the Bottom Line Show Live. I'm your show host, Dame Lillian Walker, where we share with you the bottom line secrets to success from medicine, music, sports, media, manifestation, and much, much more. Thank you today, Colette Stryker, international expert in peak performance. Thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.